This is episode 65 of the Popcast. Welcome to the Popcast, a weekly podcast all about pop culture in three regular segments. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. This week, we are doing something pretty special because we are doing a crossover episode with another podcast on the Vernacular Podcast Network, Breaking Pod, where I am a co-host with Zach Crippen, who is the founder of the Vernacular Podcast Network. Zach, how are you? Doing great, Josh. Thanks for doing this with me. We're, we're a little overdue on getting a recent episode out on the Breaking Pod feed, but I am super excited to talk about our subject matter today. Yes. Yeah, so we are going to be talking about El Camino, a Breaking Bad story, which is a sequel to the famed Breaking Bad series. We're talking about it today because the movie just came out on October 11th. It stars Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman reprising his role, uh, Emmy-winning role, and he is back in this movie. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk through the movie, and just up front, we will be spoiling the movie. So if you you haven't seen it yet, or if you are still catching up on Breaking Bad, the series, and then you want to watch the movie after that, go ahead and bookmark this episode and come back later. It will still be here in your podcast feed when you are ready, but we will be spoiling it. And we're going to talk through the movie. We're going to give like a little summary, and then we're going to talk through some of our favorite moments, our worst moments of the movie, so sort of our overall thoughts. Now, typically in a Breaking Pod episode, we break down the best moment, best scene, and best writing after we go over the summary of each episode of Breaking Bad. We're doing a full rewatch of the series. Today, since we are, have just watched the movie one time, we're just going to talk through generally about the movie and give you our thoughts because it's a pretty big deal that they finally made a Breaking Bad movie. It's been talked about for a long time, and believe it or not, they even have a new theme song. So I'm going to throw it over to Zach, who is going to play a little bit of the theme song, and then he will get us started with the two-minute summary of the movie. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I'm very excited to hear all of your thoughts. I know we chatted a little bit before we hit the record button, but we didn't talk in-depth about this movie, actually, and I really am looking forward to hearing what you thought and where your impressions lined up with mine or differed. But as you mentioned, there's a new theme song, and I have to say, this was one of my biggest disappointments because the Breaking Bad theme music is so iconic and instead, it's replaced with something else. Now, what replaces it here isn't bad. I'm about to play it, but it's still very different. So for those of you who know the Breaking Bad theme, this is what you're going to hear in El Camino. So certainly a very different vibe, Josh. I would almost describe that as cheeky compared yeah. to the compared to the sort of driving and aggressive and borderline dissonant sounds of the series theme. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised they decided to to get some new music. Now the composer is Dave Porter, who composed the music for Breaking Bad. And, you know, it makes sense. It's sort of like this this story is a sequel to the Breaking Bad series. But it is also sort of its own thing, or it's trying to be its own thing, or I don't know if it exactly succeeds. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I'm not surprised that there's something new, but I did miss the classic tunes of the Breaking Bad theme, which have become pretty famous. Yeah, totally. But with those those tunes, I mean, with the, the new tunes versus the old tunes, that's a, a symbol of how this movie is in some ways discontinuous. Uh, there are discontinuities between it and the series, but there are also a lot of parallels uh, or a lot of uh, tie-ins, and the movie essentially picks right up where the series ended. So Jesse, at the end of the series, 
is in this very haunting scene, briefly reprised in the movie, where he's driving away from the compound, having finally made his escape. And he he laughs slash cries in this hauntingly vivid way as he's hitting pedal to the metal and driving away from the compound. It's a very haunting scene in which the series essentially ends, as far as Jesse is concerned. And the movie picks up almost right there that is, like I said, reprised briefly. Um, And I'll talk about the scene that actually opens the movie in just a moment. But Jesse Pinkman obviously is front and center in this entire movie. Our other favorite characters from the series, people like Saul Goodman, Walter Breakfast Flynn Jr., as you call him, Josh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Skyler White, they're all gone. So we don't see or hear anything about them in any way, shape, or form. Walter White is present in flashbacks, but only flashbacks. And in fact, we hear a, a radio announcer in the movie describe Walter as having been killed in a shootout with police. That's not surprising because it looked like he was pretty much dying when the Breaking Bad series ended. But it was a little bit disappointing, I think, because it it, it ties closed a loop that was intentionally left at least ambiguously open at the end of the series. I think there has been discussion on on fan boards and whatnot between people who watch the series disagreeing about whether or not Walter White's actually dead. You know, could he come back? Could he have gotten away even out of that situation since he manages to get himself out of every other situation? And now we find out in a very anticlimactic way from a radio announcer that in fact, yes, Walter White is dead. Saw Goodman's out of the picture. Skyler White, nowhere to be seen. Hank, obviously dead from the series as well. All the major characters gone, and all that's left is Jesse. So with that, the movie focuses on Jesse, and like I said, picks up almost where the the series ended. But before it does that, we first start, the very beginning of this movie starts with a flashback in which Jesse is talking with Mike. And this is, this is a flashback that I would characterize as Gilligan-esque because, Josh, you and I have talked about this before, but Gilligan has a tendency to start his episodes in Breaking Bad, the series, with these moments that are either flashbacks or flash-forwards that don't have an obvious connection to the plot you're about to see, but by the end make, make clear sense. And that's exactly what happens here. The credits actually happen in the very beginning before this scene, so it's not a pre-credit scene, um, but the the... The thrust, the idea is still there. So he's sitting there with Mike, uh, again, Mike being uh, Saul's uh, Saul Goodman's security man, ends up working with uh, and for Walter and Jesse. And he's sitting there with Mike on on the edge of a river, and they're talking about giving up the game, basically, and taking their money and getting out. And they say that Walter White's not going to be happy when he finds out, but then they're talking about what they're going to do in, with their retirement money. And Jesse says to Mike, you know, what what would you do? And Mike says, well, if, if I were you, I would go to Alaska. And they talk about this, this idea of going to Alaska. And there's this really important opening to the movie, I think, because Gilligan's writing here in this dialogue is his way of reminding us that in the Breaking Bad universe, these characters' choices have real consequences for real people. And these are irreversible consequences. And so this dialogue where Mike is talking to Jesse about going to Alaska and Jesse is thinking through that possibility drives that point home, I, I think. So here's that conversation between Mike and Jesse. If I were your age, starting fresh, Alaska is the last frontier. Up there, you could be anything you want. Alaska. Start over. Start fresh. One could. Put things right. 
No. Sorry, kid. That's the one thing you can never do. So what do you make of that, Josh? Mike says that's the one thing you can never do, referencing Jesse saying that he could make, he could make things right. I see that as, as Gilgan saying, no, the, this, the, the die already cast, you know, this is uh, these are choices that have already been made. And the best thing that you can do is, is repent and move forward, but you can't make things right. Do, do you get the same from that? Yeah, I, I do. And I think that what's interesting here is something else you pointed out as well in, in the notes that we prepared for this is that, you know, part of the, part of the issue with the movie is that, it seems like some of the things that Vince Gilligan is doing here as the writer and director of this movie are that he's really, he's really like putting things on the nose. Like it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear that, that what Jesse has done and all the, the mistakes he's made can't be undone and that people have really been affected. I mean, like half the people in his life that he cared about are, are gone and they're dead. And I, I think that, I'm a little conflicted about this scene and actually all of the flashback scenes we see in the movie. I think some work, some work well, like he, we had, we see flashback scenes throughout the movie of his time when he was in captivity from the neo-Nazis and, and his time with Todd. I think those scenes work okay, but the scenes where they're bringing back big characters from breaking bad. So we have this scene with Mike, we have a scene with Walter White, Brian Cranston later in the movie. Those just seem I, I don't know. They just felt wrong to me. Now I like the yeah. I like the general idea of the scenes, but it just like it, to me part of the reason the show was so great is because it allowed the audience to come to conclusions on their own. And these particular scenes where it just felt a little bit like fan service to get some of these big characters back, who the only way that it, they could appear is in these scenes that you know were created to fit the narrative of this movie. The, the problem with that is that they're just telling you exactly what they want you to know. So part of the great thing about Breaking Bad is that it allowed you to come to your own conclusions. And these scenes, particularly this one, it's like laying out the plot of this movie. It's like, well, what do I do? Uh, go to Alaska. I, uh, I'm going to make amends. I'm going to make it right. No, you can't. It's like that's the they just laid out the entire plot of the movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, really surprised to hear you say that because that's that was my thought exactly basically throughout the entire film um the the fact that this is so on the nose makes it very different from breaking bad the series in that way and in a way this this is sort of a meta critique of the movie but in a way i think that this is sort of breaking bad light or maybe we could call it like breaking bad for a snapchat generation yeah or or like diet breaking bad yeah, there you go. Diet Breaking Bad. I like that. Because this movie has to pack in the same ideas in two hours that Breaking Bad, the series, packs into six seasons. So there's obviously a lot more screen time that Gilligan can work with in the series. And with less screen time, he has to be a little bit more direct in narrating the plot and the um, the implications, right? So he has less time to do it. Um, but I also think that this felt discontinuous from the series because the whole the whole tone is different. Like you said, in the series you make your own conclusions. And not that not that, you know, not that it's all relativistic and that you can draw a billion different conclusions from the series, but that Gilligan is more interested in showing you rather than telling you. And yeah, in the exactly. in this movie 
in this movie, I thought it was all about telling you because there are these scenes that are just way too on the nose. I have some other ones I want to play later, but this this dialogue with Mike is is exactly right. And there's there's one at the end that we'll play shortly that is also just way too on the nose. And it's um, you know the the movie. I'll just say the movie ends with uh, Jane Margulis's character um, basically giving. Jesse some life lessons as he drives off into the wilderness and it's just it's just a little bit too much um it it leaves less to the the viewer's imagination and I think that's very unfortunate at the same time I recognize why Gilligan did it and I kind of wonder if this opening scene with Mike is kind of is a sort of cheeky way of Gilligan saying you know I missed the mark and maybe overshot a little bit in the series but you you know I can't make things right I can't go back and change the series uh, what I can do is make these lessons maybe a little bit more clear in a two-hour Netflix movie that the streaming generation is going to watch. I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably reading too much into that. But this this movie felt like something made for the streaming generation um, in a way that the Breaking Bad series does not. No, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that your point about the fact that this felt sort of crammed into a two-hour slot you know, in the movie format where the series had episodes after episode to work with. I think that's probably the biggest issue that I have with the movie because really what it was is a two hour, you know, episode, you know, add on to the very last episode of the series. Like it didn't feel like a movie to me because really what it was is a, a series of flashbacks that, that again, felt like they were put in there just to drive the narrative that Gilligan wanted to drive in this story. You know, he could basically make up scenes that we are supposed to believe existed in the timeline of Breaking Bad, but felt a little bit out of place. Like that scene with Walter White in the, that we, that we see towards the end of the movie where they're in the diner and Jesse's eating the all you can eat buffet, which is a great, great Jesse moment. But that just felt, it felt something felt a little off about it. Again, it, it goes back to that sort of like Breaking Bad light or Diet Breaking Bad that it just felt like not quite what we're used to. And I think that if they had done something where they had made this more of a movie as opposed to a two-hour epilogue to the series or, you know, a basically a two-hour additional episode, I think that it would have been more successful. Uh, you know, it would have been more interesting for the audience and it would have been ultimately more interesting to a broader audience rather than the people who just like Breaking Bad. Yeah, I want to pick up on that because you mentioned this scene with Walter White. I want to play just a a quick part of that dialogue because I think this backs up your point about how it just doesn't quite feel right. It doesn't it doesn't quite carry on the same tone that Breaking Bad the series does. So here's here's a Walter White monologuing in the diner. You're really lucky, you know. You didn't have to wait your whole life to do something special. So right there, Josh, Walter White is saying to Jesse, you're lucky because you didn't have to wait your whole life to do something special. The implication is that Walter is saying that doing something special is cooking meth, being a meth kingpin, running all over the Southwest and making millions of dollars while doing it. That's the something special to Walter White. And he is, you know, in his mid fifties while he's doing this has waited his whole life because he's dying of cancer. And he's saying to Jesse, you're lucky because, you know, in your early twenties, you get to do this. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's insightful. And then it shows us something about Walter White's character and how he actually views what he's doing. But that's something that, 
you can tell much more artfully in a six season series than in a two hour movie. And it was just way too on the nose um, and and way too direct, I think. And not just a two hour movie, but but we got that for 20 seconds. So, yeah, so he crammed in what what was what we're supposed to believe Walter White was thinking in 20 seconds where we had previously had six seasons to do it. Yeah. So yeah. to me that that just didn't work. But I, I know we're not going to go into the whole plot here because we we hope you've seen the movie. But you pulled out some really interesting reviews of the movie that I think are worth pointing out. Yeah. Um. Well, I looked at I looked at some of the reviews here. I, first of all, I went on Twitter, which is you know always a, a dangerous thing to do. But people on on Twitter, by and large, from what I saw. We're very positive on this movie. Lots of good reviews. I went to Rotten Tomatoes this morning. As of this morning, had a critic score of 93% and an audience score of 85%. So that's pretty high, especially for a movie these days. Um, There are some divided reviews. The New York Times, for example, says that the movie is well executed, but simultaneously suspenseful and superfluous. I agree with uh, one of those two adjectives. Vulture says that the movie gives Breaking Bad fans exactly what they want, which I fear is true, and and I can talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, The BBC had a really good review that called the movie a colossal waste of time, and I (laughs) I largely agree with this review. I will link to it in the the show notes, but I want to read a paragraph from this review. What we get is a fugitive thriller without thrills and a character study without any character. Pinkman edges around the nondescript Albuquerque suburbs, trying to set himself up to get out of town in a series of listless scenes whose dialogue is all padding. At points, it is so boring that it's almost avant-garde. Then, when bits of incident do occur, they are purely ludicrous. The best things are the expensive-looking wide shots of the New Mexico desert, which show the producer striving to give it some cinematic currency, even if only a small number of people will, like this reviewer, ever see it in a cinema. (laughs) So uh, there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, I do like the final scene where he's talking about some of these these scenes. And there is some really good cinematography of Albuquerque and the surrounding desert that would play very well in a cinema. This movie was released on Netflix, but also is having a limited theatrical release. And I'm curious, Josh, do you think people actually go to the movies for this? Yeah, that's such a good question, because for me, I don't I don't think people would because it came out on Netflix. But then right. if it hadn't come out on Netflix and it had just come out in theaters, I think you and I might, you know, as Breaking Bad fans, we might have made a trip to the theater to see it. I mean, think about all the people who went to see the Downton Abbey movie recently. That's made yeah. well over $100 million worldwide. And that was a, that was a TV show that had, yeah. you know, just a couple seasons on, on PBS. And, and so clearly people were interested in revisiting the characters. I definitely think they would have made some money had they just done a theatrical release. That being said, I think that they're going to get more eyeballs ultimately having it on Netflix. Now we'll probably never know the exact viewing numbers because Netflix is very cagey with all of their data, but I, I, I'm really curious. I don't think that people are going to see it outside of Netflix unless they are, you know, they have a lot of money or the, so, or they don't have Netflix, which is right. a very small pool of people. Right. Exactly. Um, or and especially or they're because die hard breaking bad fans, especially because a lot of people have discovered the show because it's on Netflix. So yeah, you have true. to imagine that some of the people who are watching this movie have only seen the show since it was on Netflix. The other thing about this, I'm curious, did you watch this on just a, like a regular TV? I did. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't have a big TV, so it was on a 30, 32 inch, I think. Okay. So I, I, we have like a, a similarly sized TV, maybe a little bit bigger, but I, we have, I live in a condo building and we have like a movie room. And so I thought I'm going to oh, nice. go watch the movie 
in the movie room, which is like a nine foot screen with a 4K projector. So I was wondering nice. if yeah. I, I was wondering if seeing it like that would make me feel any differently about it as a movie. And certainly, as you mentioned, some of the cinematography is beautiful. It's it's very well done. But to me, it, it still felt not cinematic for, for whatever yeah. reason. It just felt like a bigger episode of Breaking Bad. And they even throw in an explosion because I guess they had the budget to do it. And yeah. it just felt a little bit like uh, this. This didn't need to be. It didn't need to have the the movie aspect ratio. It didn't need to be in in theaters. Like it could have played just as well on a TV. So I, I was just curious, you know, to see it on the bigger screen. And certainly, if you can watch it on the as big a screen as you can, I would recommend doing it. But it doesn't need to be done. You could watch this on your on your phone or your iPad and and be fine. Yeah, maybe not an airport airplane uh, TV screen, but that's just because. Airplane TV screens are not good for anything. Exactly, exactly. Do not, especially do not watch uh, any space movies, as we talked about no, on one of the vernacular podcasts not. recently. No space movies, <laughs> no no big war movies. Please avoid those on airplanes at all costs. Yeah, at all costs. Yeah, so there's a couple things there. I want to pick up on the, um, the sort of explosion scene that you mentioned because it ties into this BBC review, which criticizes some of the action as being purely ludicrous. And I think it's a pretty apt description. And when I was thinking back on this movie, the movie essentially alternates, as this review suggests, between these very quiet, almost listless scenes and then these scenes of, uh, as the New York, New York Times might say, suspense, although I think that word sort of overstates the the thrill of this movie. Um, but there is this sort of alternating rhythm to this movie of listlessness and suspense. And yet those suspenseful scenes, I think, are sort of bordering on ludicrous. We get the the scene in the in Todd's former apartment where the fake cops come in and there's a fake you know a, a, a standoff scene that to me was transparently uh, obvious that those guys weren't cops I don't know what your thoughts were watching that Josh but um, I thought that suspense was uh, a little bit contrived and then I thought the duel scene at the end was just completely ridiculous. And then to cap it off with the explosion, to me, it certainly paralleled that scene in season two of Breaking Bad where uh, Walter White blows up the uh, the lawyer's car with the uh, squeegee, con- the wet squeegee yeah, conducting yeah, yeah, metal definitely. across the battery <laughs> uh, and just you know walking across like uh, Mr. Bad Guy uh, walking away from the scene. That Jesse explosion scene was very similar to that, but it just it just struck me as lame. Like, like Jesse is, uh, he's not a super smart guy. He certainly doesn't know pyrotechnics. And now he figured out how to walk into a welding space and learn how to just blow up the entire, uh, compound. I'm not buying it. Yeah. I think that your point about the, the action being sort of unnecessary is totally true because I I wonder when you went into this movie and you sort of got the, cause I should be upfront about this. I tried to see as little as possible before I watched this movie. I saw the initial teaser. I think I saw one other teaser, but I tried to yeah. I tried to read nothing. I tried to look at nothing else. I didn't even watch the full trailer that came out because I really wanted to go in without without knowing anything. And typically, I do go in uh, to most movies that I'm interested in, having seen several trailers, having read something about it. So I really wanted to go in totally blind. But even within like 10 minutes of the movie starting, I was like, there's no way Jesse comes out of this any way but safe and alive. I I just never was on the edge of my seat. Like, I I guess I just thought to myself, why would they make this movie 
uh, unless he was just going to survive just to kill him right yeah. there's yeah. no reason that they would kill him at this point like the ambiguity of the of the series finale where he's driving off with this sort of like visceral reaction where he's like laughing and, and crying at the same time and sort of screaming like there was your ambiguity like you weren't sure and, and that was that was a perfect way to end it i mean it's one of the most haunting scenes of television i've ever seen yeah it's it's amazing and sort of you, you are left as the viewer like is he going to be okay like what's going to happen yeah. he he's yeah. he's they i think what that scene was was meaning and i'm sure we'll get into this when we cover the the series finale and breaking pod but i think what it was showing is that he was free but he wasn't really free like he was free right. from this immediate evil and and difficulty but ultimately his soul was going to be racked with guilt and and pain for the rest of his life but you came to that conclusion if that was a conclusion you came to on your own and this movie just very on the nose it's like he's going to be fine and he's going to alaska in a yeah. very unjesse like sweater i should point out at the very end he's wearing a <laughs> yes. turtleneck yeah, sweater I, what was what was that about that was <laughs> so weird it was like normally he wears all these baggy clothes and now he looks like a prep school student going off to alaska yeah so i, I have a little theory about that um which i don't i don't want to spend too much time on this because it's fairly speculative but i mentioned the explosion and how that parallels walter blowing up the car with the wet squeegee across the battery terminals um we see a few other echoes of walter white in jesse here as the movie progresses and um by the time he is in that dual standoff he is standing up to those guys just like walter white would you know against all odds some might call it foolish and yet he wins right he wins uh because of his smarts he outsmarts the bad guys and that's how he beats him so that's a very walter white type thing to do and then he uh, flees. Uh, Walter White, you probably recall, Josh, when he flees in the final season of Breaking Bad, he goes to the northeast to New Hampshire, and we see him in the New Hampshire snow. Jesse instead goes northwest, and we see him in the Alaska snow. But when he comes out, he's wearing a, a very uh, sort of middle-aged man-type sweater. And what is the color of the sweater? But white. Mm, so Interesting. So he's, he's sort of become, in, his, in a way his mentor, Walter White. I don't know, that's that's uh, maybe reading it a little bit, reading into it a little bit too much, but I uh, I couldn't look past the sweater. I think there has to be something there. Well, for those of you who listen to Breaking Pod, we we definitely never try to read <laughs> read too much into things. <laughs> definitely not. So I guess I guess I want to ask, since we've sort of given our overall thoughts on the movie at this point, I want to ask just sort of generally, do you think it works? Like, like is it a success? So I, I think, you know, I, I mentioned that Vulture review very briefly, but the headline of the Vulture review was that this Breaking Bad movie gives Breaking Bad's fans exactly what they want. And um, if that's right, and I think it probably largely is, that's um, both a good thing for Vince Gilligan and a sad thing for the movie watching public, I think, Be because the Breaking Bad series is so much more rich has so much more depth for all of the reasons we've talked about. The lessons of the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino, that we just watched and we're talking about, are, they're still good lessons. They're poignant lessons. They're uh, lessons that all viewers should take away from this. I mean, you know, I never want a young viewer to watch this and think, oh yeah, crime does pay. Yeah, I don't think that's what you would get. Or, um, you know, we're all just victims of circumstance. You know, I want, I want people to come away from a movie like Breaking Bad or a show like Breaking Bad and think, you know, I, I might be in a bad situation. I might be the victim of circumstance to some degree, but I still make my decisions. 
And so in, in the sense that the movie conveys those ideas, I think it's a good thing and I think it's a success. But in the way that it does so, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here, Josh, but um, I mean, maybe in the same way that like you can read the cliff notes of A Tale of Two Cities and come away understanding A Tale of Two Cities, um, you're going to come away with a much less enduring imprint of the, the Tale of Two Cities uh, on your mind. Whereas if you read the novel, you'd be so wrapped up in the story and the characters and the drama and the art of the whole thing that you'd remember it for a lot longer and in much better ways. Um, and so I kind of think that's 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 the way I look at it, that El Camino is a Cliff Notes version. And I say that that's not necessarily a bad thing because I know several people, and this is not a criticism, but I know several people who are um, you know, very, very intelligent, um, thoughtful-minded people who haven't watched Breaking Bad and when I press them why, and I say like, I mean, you, I'm on record, you know this, Josh, best movie series or best TV series ever made. I say like, you guys really need to watch Breaking Bad. And the response to me is normally, yeah, there's just so many episodes and I can't get into it. Um, you know, I don't have time to get into it or whatever. And so, you know, our generation is really strapped for time. We're always doing something. We always have multiple screens pulling us in a billion different directions. We're on the, uh, the hamster wheel of life. And it's hard to uh, to sit down and digest six seasons of dramatic uh, morality play late in television. Right, right. And it is difficult. And it's, it's, not, it it's not an easy show to watch. Yeah, for sure. And so if you can get those lessons in El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, um, you know, not a bad thing. Is it as good as the real thing? No, but it's... Um, you know, it's a it's the Cliff Notes version. I think <laughs> I think that's what I would say. So, uh, as far as whether or not it works, it works to that extent. Does it work as a sequel or a capstone to the Breaking Bad series? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I think that was really well put. I think the only problem with that is that who is going to come into this having not seen the series and watch the movie? So you're probably going to get just a few. I don't know. Who knows what the numbers are, but you're probably not going to come into this having never seen anything Breaking Bad. And so the people you're going to affect with that lesson, that that sort of Cliff Notes version, is very few. Uh, but I, but, yeah, I, but, I think but I think your point overall of it being, uh, you know, a decent lesson in, in sort of what it presents uh, thematically is a good one. But I just wonder how many people are actually going to come to this who've never seen anything Breaking Bad because, and we'll talk a little bit about this in just a minute about some of our nitpicks, but there's a lot of callbacks that people who'd never seen the series and even people like us who'd seen the series are, it just goes right over your head unless you've just watched the entire series then. So you're not going to be emotionally affected at all by Walter White coming back if you've never seen the series to begin with. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, I guess I hadn't thought about how the movie might not be able to stand on its own in that respect. Because if I hadn't seen the series, you know, I wouldn't know any of the characters. All of it would be pretty foreign to me. The flashbacks would be confusing. Like, I'd be like, you know, why is Jesse in an underground cage? I don't understand. You might not even know that they're flashbacks. Yeah, that's true. That's a good you point. You might be like, what's it, it happening? Does, uh, it's very sort of a Christopher Nolan-y in, in the sense that it bounces back and forth yeah. seamlessly. And there are not clear indications. You know, there's no, there's no uh, where's the bottom of the screen to say three months earlier sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of why I wish that this had done something different than just potentially a sequel to the show like it could have been a movie on its own with the character of jesse pinkman without it yeah. being a direct sequel picking up moments after the series ended that's a good point i think that, that could have been better because it could have done the cliff notes version but still as a standalone story right, with a new story 
Yeah, and we know Vince Gilligan can do that because of Better Call Saul. I mean, exactly. he's capable of doing the spin-off character-based drama, but I think that's not what El Camino is. So before we wrap up, let's just talk quickly about our, our favorite moments of the movie because I think we both at least had a couple things. We were like, that was pretty good. And then we'll talk a little bit about our worst moments and our nitpicks, and then we'll wrap things up from there. So Zach, did you have a favorite moment from this movie? Yeah, I definitely did. I really liked the scene where Jesse calls his parents. This is, for, for people who have seen the series, they understand how fraught this relationship is between Jesse and his parents. He loves them dearly and they love him dearly, but they've given him one too many chances to reform himself. He's never been quite able to do that. And every time he tries to, he ends up sort of putting his foot in his mouth or uh, you know, taking the fall for his brother for stashing a joint in his bedroom, you know, things like that. And, uh, and this is just a really dramatic and emotional scene and he's calling his parents because he's trying to con them one last time he needs to get them out of the house so that he can get into the house and get into their safe steal their money steal steal their guns etc and so um so he calls them he asks they know he's on the lam you know they, they say turn yourself in and he asks them if they could pick him up somewhere and it's this this pond where they used to take him as a child so there's this beautiful uh recollection that he has with his parents of going to a pond when he was a little kid and that in and of itself is sad because now he's a fugitive on the run calling his parents. But then he asks them to pick him up from there and they say, yeah, I can do it. And then he has this beautiful, um, but really heart wrenching, uh, moment where he tells them that basically they did their best while they're raising him and they shouldn't blame themselves for how he's turned out. I'm going to play that right here. I don't know if it'll mean much to you, but you did your best. So you did your best and whatever happens to me, it's on me, nobody else. I thought that was really, really a dramatic scene because I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a parent now, Josh, but this mom and dad, even though they're certainly not perfect and they probably, it probably could have shown more mercy to their son at various points. He's telling them, you know, you did your best. The way I've turned out is not on you. It's on me. So this, this Jesse taking responsibility for his actions in front of his parents is a, is a new Jesse. Yeah. And not only that, which is a very emotional moment, but the fact that it's juxtaposed with this memory that he's just brought up of them, you know, as a family going to this pond and and them probably remembering when he was young and and everything seemed very hopeful. It definitely has more impact because of that. That it's such a small yeah, moment in the movie, but so sad. But it, it's very very well done. And that and that that is just a small example that if if by any chance you haven't seen this this series yet that's an example of what vince gilligan does best he has these yeah. moments like this that just mean so much on the surface but then when you dig in even deeper they mean even more so that's a that's a great scene to point out how about your best moment josh so i really like the scene because I, I i had also picked up on that one that you had mentioned but since i wanted to pick something different so we could have a little variety there are a couple flashback scenes with with Jesse and this character Todd, who you remember from the series. I would describe him as the nicest evil neo-Nazi that you've ever met. So like, <laughs> he's so weird. He's so weird and nice, but also totally evil. Like he has no like. It, it's very strange and and played very well by an actor named Jesse Plemons, who uh, you might also remember from Friday Night Lights, great show by the way. But there's a scene of them. They're burying a body in the desert. Um, the character of Todd has has killed his his housekeeper, 
for a reason that seems absolutely ridiculous. Um, this scene is is a moment where Jesse is being forced to bury this person. And, um, you know, he is thinking about escaping because Todd has let him out of his cage temporarily to help him with this task. And Jesse keeps thinking about escaping. He has very little dialogue throughout this whole scene when they're in the desert. And Todd asks him to go get some cigarettes out of the front of the car. And when he opens the, the, um, the glove compartment, there is a gun in there. And Jesse picks up the gun and he sort of points it at Todd. And for some reason, Todd is able to talk him out of using it by saying, let's go get some pizzas. I'll take you back to your cage. We'll have some beers. And it, it's sort of like, it's a little bit like very dark humor on the surface because uh, why would Jesse ever agree to that? But at the same time, Aaron Paul's acting in this is another example of what makes him so good as Jesse Pinkman. With, with almost no dialogue and with no speaking, he, sh- he visually shows how much the character of Jesse Pinkman is broken with, with almost no, you know, verbal cues. And I, I just thought that was a really nice moment as an acting moment for Aaron Paul that just goes to show you what he did throughout the entire Breaking Bad series. I totally agree with you. Do you think Aaron Paul could have played Brad Pitt's role in Ad Astra, Josh? Huh. Um, interesting. Interesting. I think he could have actually. He he, he yeah. does a lot with his face. That, that there's a there's such a great moment in Breaking Bad. We haven't gotten there in our rewatch yet, but but there's such a great moment where he's like the camera is on his face. He's holding a gun. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. And we'll get there on Breaking Pod. But that moment just goes to show you what a good actor he is, what a good screen actor yeah. he is. A few other small things that I picked out that I just want to mention really quickly. There's a shot that Vince Gilligan does that I'd never seen done on on film before or on in a TV show, but Jesse is raiding Todd's apartment looking for all the money that Todd had stored away after he had been killed in the neo-Nazi shootout in the series finale of Breaking Bad. And there's like this really like it's a top down shot where you can see the entire layout of the apartment. And it's really hard to describe, but it's sort of like you're looking at a blueprint and you see this little figure of Jesse like going from room to room. It was really cool. In like time lapse, right? Yeah, very cool look. I don't know if they did that sort of like as a visual effect or if they actually shot that. It was really cool. I like that a lot. And then also, I don't know if you caught this, but Todd, the nice neo-Nazi, had... When they were eating dinner in one of the flashback scenes at his apartment, he had salt and pepper shakers that were grenades. And I thought that was... <laughs> I did not That was just that. so random, like a, <laughs> like a nice little piece of set dressing that I that I thought were really... Very, uh, very appropriate, though. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's quickly do our worst moments, and then we'll wrap up with one or two other questions. Zach, did you have any worst moments or nitpicks? I think you mentioned one about the duel, but I, I, I like some of your other notes here, too. Yeah, for sure. So... Um... One that I didn't yet mention, but I, well, I mentioned briefly, but didn't play the scene yet. The very end, once Jesse's dropped off in Alaska and he is about to ride off into the sunset, he, I don't think hallucination would be the right word, but he imagines um, Jane, uh, wait, what's, what's her name in, in the series? Yeah, it's I'm Jane. Totally it's Jane. Okay, Jane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Played but by is, Kristen Ritter. Is the actress, is, oh, Kristen Ritter. Yeah, okay, she's yeah. She's the actress. So, so. Um, I was thinking Jane Margulis was the actress, but no, Jane's the character. So Jane um, is next to him and uh, he's talking to her and he he's talking with her about her philosophy to go where the universe leads you. And this is a really, um, well, I guess it's not a very interesting conversation. It, it could have been a lot more interesting, but this is again an example of it being way too on the nose. I was thinking about that thing you said about the universe. 
going where the universe takes you, right on. I think it's a cool philosophy. I was being metaphorical. It's a terrible philosophy. I've gone where the universe takes me my whole life. It's better to make those decisions for yourself. Okay, so why is this a nit to pick? Well, a couple things here. One, this is all an imagined conversation slash hallucination with Jane. There's no Jane because we know that Jane passed away uh, way back when in the series. But she was someone that Jesse really loved and valued, and so he's imagining her here. But to base the entire, you know, to, to wrap up the entire movie, potentially the entire movie and series, the whole Breaking Bad universe in this imagined conversation with Jane, to me is just a little bit weak. Um, and second, this whole conversation is just too on the nose. So, Josh, in Breaking Pod, we talk a lot about the central question of the Breaking Bad uh, motif or the central motif of Breaking Bad. And that is basically, are we victims of our environment and of circumstance and subject to fate? Or are we responsible for our own decisions? Do we have agency um, even if we are in a bad situation? And so that comes into play because, for example, is Walter White the victim of his own circumstance being diagnosed with cancer and not having enough money to provide for his family? And so is he driven to go into the meth trade uh, through love of his family? Or is this a, a choice that he has you know, agency to make and uh, and should he exercise his agency to refrain from pursuing uh, the, the, the ill here? Um, and so that central question hangs over the entire Breaking Bad series. And I think by the end of it, we have a pretty good idea, again, because Vince Gilligan has shown us rather than told us. But then here we have this this uh, imagined conversation with Jane where, you know, Jesse's saying like, right on, you know, go where the universe takes you. And then Jane says, no, that's a terrible philosophy. I think it's better to make your own decisions. <laughs> and so like, is that really how we're going to wrap up the the whole Breaking Bad question the question of life of existence is that it we're an imagined conversation with jane right before jesse uh, heads off into an alaska sunset um that to me is the biggest nit of this whole movie josh yeah that that is a really good point you know it's funny you thought about it as an imagined conversation i thought about it as a flashback i don't i don't know that it matters what it is because it, it could be either and it still have the same problem because the central point of this being delivered to us in very clear dialogue is the problem it doesn't matter if it was a flashback or an imagined conversation but i totally see what you're saying and and i do think that it and i, and I wonder from your perspective does it undermine what we saw in breaking bad the series and and for me it doesn't consciously like i can i can separate the two i can separate breaking bad the series and el camino a breaking bad story i can separate them but sort of subconsciously i will probably always i'll, I'll never be able to get this movie and what it said out of my head when i compare it you know it, it's always going to be connected to breaking bad for me so while i consciously won't associate the two as like diminishing one because of the other i don't know if i'll ever be able to subconsciously do the same yeah, it's a good question. I think that it would be much easier for me to sever the two if El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, had a different director and was not Vince Gilligan, the showrunner for Breaking Bad. Um, you know, if, if it were the case that Netflix simply bought the rights to the Breaking Bad name and then hired a totally different production staff to make it, then I'd be like, okay, this is just a totally different movie. Sure. 
uh, totally different idea. Um, but because it's Vince Gilligan, I think it is a little bit harder for me to cognitively separate those two, um, if only on a subconscious level. And, and it will sort of, this is sort of a, a mark on the Breaking Bad universe, I think, for me, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And and sorry to our listeners, I keep calling it a Breaking Bad story, but Zach is right. It's a Breaking Bad movie, which I don't know if that means anything. I, I did wonder, does this mean that we're going to get more Breaking Bad movies? So, so, yeah, that's a good question. I was talking with Sally about this earlier today. And the fact that, you know, sometimes we'll see... Um, we'll see these universes be manifest in a movie like in the Lego movie. Sure. But the definite article there is the versus a, right. Which makes me think, I wonder if the, the takeaway for a breaking bad movie, you know, here, El Camino, a breaking bad movie is that this is a movie about a character that is in the breaking bad universe, but more importantly in the breaking bad mold that is, um, is still engaging with this central question, even if it's engaging that central question in a much more didactic sort of elementary way, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I did read that this movie originally started as an idea to be a short film to celebrate the 10 year anniversary of the premiere of breaking bad. Then it expanded oh, into wow. this whole, whole movie so i don't know what the short film would have done differently it might have been the same general story but just sort of a, a more direct epilogue as opposed to like a full two-hour uh extra piece of the of the series so i'm not really sure uh, but that's a good point in a way i think the short short film would have been a better I, I think i think you're right especially in the in the style and the storytelling yeah. that they decided to do here exactly um a couple other nits real quick and then i want to hear your nits to pick so that scene with badger in the beginning i was just like man this badger guy looks a lot older than i remember him in the <laughs> yeah, series exactly and then the flashbacks with uh brian cranston slash walt as well brian cranston has aged quite a bit it looks like since doing breaking bad and he just looked different i mean they shaved his head again to give him the heisenberg look but um, he just looked different to me. And so it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. One of my nits was similar to that. Cause I definitely noticed that the people look different and even Aaron Paul looks older and sort of a little heavier than he might have when, when the show yeah. uh, wrapped up because you remember he's supposed to be in captivity in which he wasn't getting a lot of food. And then he comes out and shaves his beard off and it's like, he's looks like he's a healthy person. Anyway, one of my questions or nitpicks about all of that was that some of the characterizations of the characters we knew from the Breaking Bad universe seemed a little bit off in this movie. And I think it goes back to your point of everything just feeling slightly askew. So the characters, for example, of Skinny Pete and Badger, Jesse's drug dealing and drug using friends, you know, in the series, I don't ever remember them being particularly smart. In fact, we just watched an episode in season two where they actually look pretty stupid, like as as people, like they're not <laughs> smart. And and then, you, you know, I never also saw them as very compassionate people. And yet in this movie, right. they are both compassionate and seemingly pretty smart. Like Skinny Pete comes up with this whole plan of like, we're going to drop my car off by the border in Mexico. You're going to take the other car. I'm going to keep the low jacked El Camino car and we're going to be fine. It's like, whoa, dude, you just came up with this whole like mastermind plan. And, you know, in the series that we watched, you were never like spouting off plans like that. So I wonder if there was a little bit of characterization flaw that that came into this movie so that was a little bit of a nit to pick did you catch any of that as well i totally agree with you yeah i mean this i was just like this is not the skinny pete and badger that i know i mean it, but at the same time there were some of those like when when skinny pete was playing video games and by the way he was definitely not really playing video games the way he was like <laughs> yeah turning the controller it's it's like it's like uh you know 
your your parents, your your fifty year old parents, you know, at Christmas trying to play your new Xbox console, yeah, and they're exactly. like turning the controllers of the like that's not the, how it works. The car, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when they were arguing there, it was like, oh yeah, this is the skinny Pete and Badger. But then yeah, when they're masterminding Jesse's escape plan, I'm just like, what? 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 What, what am I missing here? Right. We went from from zero to sixty. Exactly. So one of the other things about some of these uh, characters that appeared from the Breaking Bad universe. They, they went over my head, and this is this is from someone who watched the entire series, who's currently doing a rewatch with you of the entire series. Now, we haven't gotten through the whole thing, but there were a lot of characters who played a part in this in this movie that I just did not remember at all from, from being in the series. And one in particular is the guy who helps, who ultimately helps Jesse get to Alaska slash Canada, wherever he's he's going. And, and you pointed out before we started, the, the actor's name is Robert Forster. He actually just passed away, you said yesterday, in, in, yeah, in the, real life. Yeah, the day this premiered on Netflix. Which is, which is pretty crazy. I guess he had a role in Breaking Bad and and such a significant role that he was going to help Jesse escape before but Jesse sort of stood him up and there's this whole plot line in the movie where he's he's making Jesse pay up for the time that he slighted him and that that totally went over my head I was like am I supposed to be remembering this like there was no indication of that uh, you know in the movie sort of setting it up at all so if you didn't know what was going on as I did, you would be like, what, what is happening here? Yeah. I, I definitely forgot that as well. I remembered, I mean, once he went in there and talked to the guy and said, you know, like I didn't go with you in the van that first time Then I was like, Oh yes, I remember this now. But when he was trying to find the right vacuum cleaner yeah. sales right, right. place, I was like, I have no idea what he's doing. Yeah. So that, that for me was like a little, and, and to me that was like, they were trying to find as many characters who were still alive so that he could interact with people who and I, and I mean characters in the sense that like they were still alive in the show i don't mean actors but they were trying mm-hmm. to find people he could interact right. with in the present day of the movie as opposed to having to do everything in flashbacks which is how they brought back all of the main characters from from breaking bad i think that the other thing that i wanted to point out and we've talked a little bit about this but for me the biggest problem with the movie is that there's really no consequence For me, like where he's left at the end of Breaking Bad, or at least my interpretation is that he will ultimately escape from from the life that he led before. And that's exactly where we're led at the end of this movie. He has seemingly escaped to Alaska slash Canada, wherever he decides to settle down. So for me, the movie became, as one of the reviews pointed out, superfluous because you're like, well, that's exactly what I might have interpreted happening at the end of, of Breaking Bad, the series. I guess the last thing that I'll point out as a nitpick, and this is just a small fun thing, but um, I've been on record saying that I didn't think that the character, the actors who played Jesse's parents were very good. And of course, <laughs> they make an appearance in this movie. And also, I read a great article on The Ringer recently, I think it was on The Ringer, where they talked about the worst character in Breaking Bad history, and it was Jesse's brother. And of course, he's only in a single episode and they mention him in this movie and Je- Jesse's like, can I talk to my brother? And they're like, he's at band camp in London. It's like <laughs> the most ridiculous thing of like sending him Who goes far to away. band camp in London? Exactly. It's so weird. But apparently the actor who played his brother retired from acting after he did his role in Breaking Bad. So maybe they couldn't get him again. Wow. Of course, he'd be much older at this point. So he, he's I read he's 24 now. Okay. So that would be a little bit be uh, a little bit jarring. Yeah. To say. yeah, yeah. So but but just that the sort of like convenient excuse of like, oh, I, you can't talk to your brother because he's off in London at band camp was was really strange. My final uh, big net to pick in this movie was the dual scene. Oh, yeah. Where Jesse walks into the welding company and <clears throat> asks for, you know, $1,800 because that's what he needs to 
to uh, pay the vacuum guy to get him out of there. And then, um, you know, there's, there's a, that, that ridiculous duel scene where he shoots the, the other guy. And it's never been Jesse's MO to shoot his way out of a situation. Of course, Josh, we recall in, the, in uh, I think it was season, end of season one, maybe early season two, um, when Jesse first has a gun, he doesn't even know how to check to see if it's loaded. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? He is not a firearm specialist by any stretch of the imagination. And now you're telling me that he's going to waltz in there with a 22 tucked in his belt and a snub-nosed revolver in his left hand pocket, so at hip level, <laughs> and he's going to fire from hip level 20, 25 feet across the room and hit his target on the nose perfectly accurately with multiple shots. Yeah, like that's absolutely that's, ridiculous. To me, just completely, completely defies reality. You've criticized Josh before this, uh, this show for its uh, lack of firearms accuracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that uh, I think that this comes through in this scene as well. I was just like, what are we doing here? This is not, this is not what I expected it, from here. I do not want to see. There was a very like, um, very I don't know, like old western gunslinger style vibe to that scene that was just not. Uh, in continuity with Jesse's character. I totally get that, and I am totally on board with what you said there. I think that maybe it was mirroring a little bit of what Walt did with the M16 in the back of the car, you know, when he sort of uh, basically killed all the neo-Nazis to to free Jesse. And I think that, you know, it was that element of surprise, but I'm totally with you that that was a little bit silly. Like it didn't make, didn't make much sense character wise, which we already talked about was an inconsistency across the whole movie. So I think the last thing here is just, just sort of like, would you recommend this? Is it worth watching? I mean, this was like, to me, this was like a big deal that they were going to do this. I mean, like this was a hugely popular show, but I, I'm curious from your perspective, would you recommend this to people? So I, I think my bottom line would be, look, watch the show. I mean, the show is, so so good and the movie doesn't even approach that uh in the same way that if someone said should i read a tale of two cities or pride and prejudice or any number of classics i would say yeah go read the classic don't just look at the cliff notes so um i would say it's not worth it's not worth watching if you uh have time or are at all interested in watching the series because you need to go watch the series and then after the series sure go watch the movie it's not a it's not a bad movie but it is superfluous um it does not do uh, it does not accomplish its objectives nearly as well as the series does. So go watch the series instead. And then if you have time after that, then watch the movie. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I have to agree with that. I do think it's well done. Like the acting is good. The cinematography yeah. is good. It's well directed. It, it's not It's not sloppy in that sense. But I do think you, you should watch the series and maybe leave it at that. The hard thing is that if you watch the entire series, there's no way you're not curious enough to check out this movie exactly so it's like i wasn't going to not watch this right movie. exactly and and to be honest if they make another movie I, w- I would probably watch that too just because if you have netflix it's two hours to sort of learn a little bit more about the characters and see what they do with them so if you're a fan of the series i definitely think it's worth watching and if if you're not a fan of the series or you haven't watched the series go watch that first and and then check out breaking pod because we are breaking down each episode of the series in, in more depth and trying to get you to the core of what the themes of the show are. Definitely. It's been a lot of fun and we are, uh, we're making our way through season two and we're getting ready to drop our next episode of Breaking Pod, continuing that episode by episode breakdown pretty soon. Well, Zach, thanks for joining me on this special crossover between the Popcast and Breaking Pod. For the Popcast listeners, we'll be back next week with a new regular episode. Maureen will be back on that one. And again, go to the Breaking Pod feed wherever you get your podcasts 
to find that podcast and we will talk to you there. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash poppedcast. We would love to hear from you. You can also reach us by emailing thepoppedcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe, rate, and review our show on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.